0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the All Angles podcast. The views expressed are those of the speaker and are subject to change at any time. These views are for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a recommendation to purchase any security or as an offer of securities or investment advice. No forecast can be guaranteed. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. I am delighted today to bring my guest, Michelle Thompson-Dolberry, who is the Chief Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Officer at MFS. Michelle, welcome to
1: the show. Thank you for having me Vish.
0: You're very welcome. Uh, listeners might not know, but this is the third attempt that we've had to get you uh, on the show and events have always conspired against us, but I'm delighted that you're here today. So we're gonna start Michelle with a bit of personal background on you. Could you give us a potted history of how you got to where you are today?
1: Sure, so the I'll start the long story in the short way. Um, I was a French major in college. And so I start saying like, you don't have to do anything specific to end up in this industry or to end up in a certain field. Um, I didn't mean to be a French major. I just loved it so much. I just kept taking classes. And junior year, when I decided I was going to declare a major, my advisor was like, so you're a French major. And I was like, no, I'm not, because that's stupid. And he was like, so you'd have to take like 20 more classes to have any other major. So French major it was. Um, But it's also how I got my first job in HR. So I got my first job in HR working in I was translating faxes from a home office at a French company. And that's how I got my first taste of HR, which I really decided that I loved. And so that's what launched my career into human resources. And so I say, you know, study what you want to study. You never know where you're going to end up. Following your heart really kind of drives where you end up. Um, And then I've been in financial services, um, working in HR mostly for my career um, with a stint in marketing as well.
0: What was it about HR, that first interaction with HR, sort of translating documents for a French company that lit lit you up and lit that spark in you that said that this is the career path that I want to take?
1: I'd love for it to be like there was some really gut thing that I felt like, really, I was just nosy. And being in HR, you got to see everything that was happening in a company. You got to really understand the different people and how everything interacted. And I think seeing that bigger picture for me was always really important. And and when I moved out of HR for the time that I spent in marketing, I just felt out of the loop. I felt like I didn't know everything that was going on um, as much as I did in HR. So for me, it gave me a really wide view of what the organization um, was up to and how all the pieces fit together, which um, really resonated with me.
0: That's amazing. Is there anything in how you made those moves or how you sort of thought about or framed those moves? So you talked about following your passion and sort of maybe where your kind of skill set lay, as well as, you know, your nosiness and interest in kind of inter-company gossip. Um, but is there anything that, you know, did somebody come and tap you on the shoulder? Did you have to put yourself forward for some of those roles? Is there anything in there that, you know, you think you reflect on and think, actually, that could have gone a very different way, um, had some you know scenario been slightly different
1: for me it was about taking chances and taking risks to do something different Um, everything every place that I've gone to every role that I've taken where I've grown the most has been a risk Um, there's been a risk involved with it it has been either something completely new like when I moved to marketing I just thought well if I'm good with employees I could be good with customers right Um, and really saw the synergies between those two functions and thought that I could really learn a lot from marketing and bring it back into HR. And then the different functions in HR that I've done um, were all around where was I needed most in the organization at a particular moment. And it wasn't necessarily about what I wanted to do. It was where could my skills add the most value. And I found that where I could have impact energized me. Even if the topic wasn't necessarily the thing I wanted to do in that moment, and so um, having an impact was more important to me than oh, it was this job title or it was this job function. Um, and then those were the places that I've actually grown the most um, because it wasn't just the safe and and it wasn't the safe route and wasn't the thing that you knew you could do.
0: Amazing. I want to come back to impact and personal growth in a millisecond, but before we do that, what are, is there anything that comes to front of mind for you in terms of the things that you learned from marketing or being with customers that you sort of translated back into the world of HR or vice versa?
1: I think all of it is really, really interchangeable. I found that um, marketing had more rigor in the discipline around how you interact and what you do with customers and clients. Um, And so bringing that back into HR and thinking about the employee experience, the employee journey in a very similar way, and making sure that when you put that focus on kind of that end user, it really changes how you operate. And so for me, um, that has been uh, something kind of across my career that I've been thinking of. What is the experience that someone is having either of our organization, our team, or if even of me personally? Um, and how does that change what we do in order to enhance that? That's
0: incredible, thank you. and coming back to impact um, always curious but I talked to people who were sort of top of their game and really kind of um, focused on this in terms of contribution to something bigger than themselves be that the organization or kind of broader society just you've talked a little bit about growth about taking risk but um, if you were to frame now sitting where you sit as chief diversity equity inclusion officer for you know a large financial services company a large investment manager what is your what is your why what kind of you know, fires you up every morning. You're, you know, and you know you've transformed so much already uh, in a relatively short space of time for MFS. And so, I know that passion burns bright. But what is it that sort of gets you going and and lights you up in the morning?
1: I love to help others who need additional support in helping themselves to succeed. So whether that was supporting small business, um, small businesses that were women and minorities who weren't necessarily getting their fair share of contracts or whatever it was, um, whether that is supporting um, underrepresented campus talent and helping them to get into the organization and get a foot in where they might not necessarily have before, um, or whether it is a colleague who has something that someone doesn't see and helping them to feel more like they belong, helping someone else to succeed and leveraging whatever power and whatever kind of air quotes I have to do that has always been important. Um, And I've always called it kind of using using my corporate powers for good. So whether that's in a community and being able to sponsor organizations, whatever that is, um, I want to be able to use my powers for good.
0: I like that having the agency to think about how we use our powers for good is, uh, is excellent. So I do want to um, dip into sort of DEI and sort of how you so maybe just taking a small step back how you think about it. DEI, diversity equity inclusion is such an important conversation that is permeating many industries um, and especially the sort of financial services sector uh, at this moment in time it's front of mind for many of the clients that MFS serves it's front of mind for many of the employees that are here and of course kind of um, you're the chief and you're responsible for that just before we get into MFS just could you just describe for us how you approach thinking about something as complex and dynamic and that moves so fast as as dei
1: so what i would say and i say this a lot is that dei is not a spectator sport right there's something for everyone um a way that everyone can lean in and do their part um and i can't have people sitting on the sidelines so whatever that game is that favorite game that you have whether it's baseball or even cricket which i still don't understand i was watching the other day and the score was like 146 to three and i was like Can you come back from that kind of a deficit? I'm not really sure. Whatever that sport is, um, how do we all get in? We're all in this game together. Um, and, And so that's the way I see it. I see the role for everyone. But also what I've realized is that it's very, very personal. It's personal for every single person in a different way. And so you know, first, you have to meet people where they are. And you have to understand where they are by talking to them and understanding. And then making things actionable so that people know, what do you want me to do? Right? That's what I hear a lot. What do you want me to do? Um, And so how do we help people to understand the role that they can play and how important it is? Um, And then for me, really focusing on transparency um, and making sure that people know why we're doing what we do. That's how you get the buy-in for people to be on the journey. And so those are the ways that I really kind of think about um, DEI from a high-level perspective.
0: So participate, empathize, take action and have transparency around it. Um, how, has that been sort of a philosophy that's been long in the making? I mean, it makes intuitive sense to me and I know you and I get to kind of exchange views and ideas on on these topics frequently, which is delightful. Um, is that a philosophy to, to you that has been sort of long in the making? Has that been sort of tested or how, how did you sort of form that approach in order to sort of drive you know real and meaningful change through an organization and, and be able to scale
1: it my philosophy has actually evolved over time and and so um, I feel like I have this really clear sense of right and wrong and what's good and what's bad and I realize that the world isn't really black and white like that and so people have different views and different ways of thinking of it and so um, you know, really kind of meeting people where they are with whatever business case makes sense to them. It used to be like, here is the, you know, here's the case. And this is, you know, and diverse teams make for better business results or the moral imperative. We want to be, you know, we want to treat people the way that we want to be treated and going one way or another, you might not get your message across to someone. And so how do you think about the message that's going to resonate? Um, And figuring that out. And I think before I would just kind of drum along to here's the message. Here's the message. Here's the message. Why don't you get it? And now I realize different people are listening for different things. And so when you get to them with that thing that resonates, whether it's a personal story that I've told you about my life, or whether it's some, you know, huge moral wrong that's happening in the world. When I get you, I got you but I have to go and get you with that message. And so that making it really personalized um, is something that has really evolved for me in a way that I don't think I saw before. And I think I just was hoping that people would get it and hope's not a strategy. And now I realized you have to help people get it. And then you have to help them see what they can do to be part of the solution. And so um, that's really helped me to even be um, just a little more actionable with the way I support others on their journey.
0: That's really powerful. And one of the things I often think about on this show is sort of how your perspective or how, you know, our perspective, I guess, is different from the kind of conventional wisdom, if there is any in this space. So what what do you believe or what do you have as your perspective that is not necessarily widely held by others, um, be that in our industry or kind of more broadly? Is there anything that kind of comes to mind for you, anything that you think about that might feel counterintuitive for Um, our listeners, but, you know, having kind of sat with the problem and grappled with it for so long sort of is maybe slightly more visible for you?
1: Uh, I think for for me, where I am in this moment is we don't all have to agree. We don't all have to agree all the time um, in order to move forward together, right? So I think a big part of this is how do you come together as a team, as an organization, to say, this is how we want to move forward together. And so I think that people find disagreement and friction as um, something to shy away from. And I think it's one of those things that actually helps you to get to more clarity. And mm-hmm. so, like, you got to squeak by in order to get through, but you can get through. And I think once you do that, um, people understand differently. And so I feel like it's it's being on the journey together and saying, we don't always have to agree on it. We don't always have to have the same perspective. Um, and then also talking more about compassion versus comprehension. You might not be able to understand someone else's path. You might, you might just not get it. Mm. And I understand that and that's okay, but I need you to have compassion for the life that someone else is living in their shoes and and for the experience that they are having, that could be very, very different to yours. You might not understand it, but I need you to have compassion for it. And I think that's, and I think if we just let people be, I think right now, a lot of it is forcing people to have a a way of thinking and forcing them to agree with something. I don't need you to do that. Um, And I think if we just let people just kind of sit with it for a little, in their own way, it helps people to kind of move forward um, with a better understanding and and a better way of thinking about it for themselves.
0: Compassion versus comprehension is, an, I think, an excellent way to sort of frame it. A couple of things, and and I always have sort of slightly random sparks of thought whenever we, we interrupt, but sort of, there's a kind of, I think it's Jeff Bezos's philosophy of sort of disagree and commit that he's sort of famous for, of, of this idea that we don't all have to agree, and it's not all about consensus building, but it is about, um bringing you know your ideas and and you know ideally in a cognitive cognitively diverse organization you know we all have different ideas and different ways of solving problems that we want to to ultimately solve and it's being able to do that and then sort of trusting the sort of wisdom of the team to be able to make a better decision than any one individual um and to to the point on you know people's i I think there's a a brilliant book by jonathan Haidt called um the righteous mind which sort of gets to your point on we don't all have to agree and often our thinking and what we verbalize isn't even sort of what we really truly believe but can often get hijacked by our mind so anyway uh super interesting as as you start thinking about how you can build more compassion for people that maybe have a different view or express a very different view uh to, to one that, that you might have um where do you think the future of DEI. So you talked about how your approach has sort of evolved over mm-hmm. time and and sort of things that you've augmented maybe to your original position. Do you have a sense of of what the next frontier is of the conversation that we're all having around diversity, equity, and inclusion?
1: It can be pretty polarizing to talk about DEI right now. It's it's one of those lightning rods like ESG where you go, you either love to talk about it or you totally hate to talk about it. Um, and, and I think as we look more to integrating DEI into the things that we do and into the fabric and the DNA of an organization, um, we won't have to talk about it specifically like this bolt-on thing, right? It's not going to be, um, so I'm older than you Vish, so I remember when cars didn't always have air conditioning in them. um, And if you wanted that, it was an add-on and you needed to add more money to it. And we didn't have that kind of money, hence no air conditioning in the car. Nowadays, you don't have to say, I want air conditioning in a car. It just is, right? It just exists. And so how do we make sure that DEI is one of those things that isn't something that you need to add on and pay more money for? It's just one of the baseline things that you have in the car, right? And so um, I think that's where, if we start to really get this right, um, we embed it throughout our employee journey. We embed it throughout our client and our customer journey. We embed it in the marketing. We embed it in the way we think about products and services. And so it doesn't have to be something separate. It just is. Um, And that's kind of nirvana. And that's when I work myself out of a job and I'm not worried about that anytime soon. But I think that's where um, in a perfect world, that's where we should try to kind of direct the conversations.
0: And the perfect segue to sort of think about how you're approaching this, and you know, for MFS or how MFS are approaching it, and what is kind of getting built into the car and the vehicle that we're kind of continuously building on those different journeys. Um, before I go there, actually, could you mind? Could we just touch on a couple of areas of, you know, what well, areas of sort of either confusion for me or where I sort of chase my tail uh, a little bit on on the conversation on DI and and maybe more front of mind for um, clients too? I think. Um, We've talked about this a little bit: unconscious bias training or entrenched assumptions that people have. Um, often, um, like you know, lightning rod topic, and can you know, is a effective, scalable way just to begin sort of training. My personal view is that that's sort of the first step, and actually, the actions and the processes and the change that you make to the employee journey is really the kind of holy grail that we're all sort of seeking. Is that fair to you? You know, I, I um big fan of meditation, uh, as you know, and um, I just think the idea of helping everyone uncover and unearth and rewire their unconscious bias could take 30 years in a Tibetan cave, uh, which most people probably don't have the luxury of doing. And so we need to be aware of unconscious bias or our entrenched assumptions. But actually, the, the next step is probably more important, in my view, maybe controversially, that putting in place processes and systems that allow us to address those and make sure that we're providing equal opportunity to get to the outcomes that we need to on behalf of our client or all our stakeholders is the most important thing. And so, you know, I know we're sort of collectively on that journey. Um, any, anything that you would react to there or, that you know, violently disagree with?
1: No, I, I would tend to agree. And I would think and I say when you build a better process, I feel better about our result, regardless of what the result is right? When you have a strong, rigorous process that you go through, I feel great that you've done all the things that we need to do. And so, and there's a difference between a process and kind of like checking the box, but in a way Mm -hmm. it is that, right? It's almost like we need to save ourselves. We need to save each other from ourselves, right? You know that you've got unconscious bias. So maybe one of the things that we do is we mask resumes so that you're not just looking at a name or looking at a school, I've got to save you from yourself because we know that you'll be drawn to certain things. If we know these things, build a better process to mitigate against that, Mm -hmm. right? That's where I think um, the beauty is. And so many people say, we don't want this to be a check the box thing. But guess what? When you're starting off on something, when you don't know exactly where you're headed, you make a list. When you're going Mm -hmm. on a journey for the first time and you don't know, you don't go, I'm just going to drive and just wing it right? You go, no, the GPS has a thing and it's going to tell me you do this nurse and then you do this and then you do this and you're checking that off. And you need to do that for me, maybe the first five times you need to go to a place for others, maybe just the one. Um, And then you know how to navigate it. We don't know how to navigate this yet. We need to check a box because we don't know where the heck we're going. right? And I don't Hmm. think it's a bad thing to say before it becomes a habit I need you to do it. And I need you to be intentional about it and check the box because it's not a habit yet. And so um, I think building a better process will then yield to the best result. might not always be the result that I want or the result that you want, but that's actually not the Mm. point. The point is that we can feel good about the result because we feel great about the process. And so I think Mm. that's exactly where we are. That's the type of thing that we focus on at MFS when we think about even our hiring process, right? I'm not trying to influence what happens at the bottom. I'm trying to influence what happens all the way through. Mm. And then we see what we get at the bottom, Mm. right? We see what happens at the end of that funnel. Um, But if we do our job right, we should end up with stronger results that everyone feels good about.
0: That's really helpful. And on the results, so I like the sort of process versus outcome and sort of good and bad and just make, you know, what we can control and what is within our power is, or, you know, what is in our gift is, you know, how do we build a better process and, you know, then be judged ultimately by the results, use the results to refine the process. When it comes to results, one of the things that I personally struggle with, and I would just love your perspective, is um, I'm going to frame it under the question of virtue signaling. This is a question that's so um, um, I would socialize in the fact that you and I were sitting down having this conversation, and I was asking for questions. And some one of our colleagues said, you know, I'd, I'd like to ask a question about sort of virtue signaling, and, and how do you sort of protect against it? I might add my own spin to that. Um, I've grappled with this for a while, we seem to have no problem with vice signaling. Um, and so I wonder why we have such a big problem with virtue signaling. Um, but actually, at what point is it important for people to signal the good outcomes that they're able to create or generate because that's uh, helpful to everyone else and uh, as a role model, but also that is just an outcome that they have generated. And then, or in your mind, when does that become people overclaiming? To things that actually have no real impact or, or meaning. And where where how do you draw the line between that? Is there a way yeah. to really navigate that space?
1: I think it's a really interesting question. And I think it's one that um, in particular at MFS, we we struggle with, right? We um we never want to seem like we're beating our chest, right? Um, but every now and then being a little braggadocious isn't the worst thing ever, right? So you have to actually share success. That's what I would call it, right? You wanna make sure that you're sharing when something has gone well, because number one, because everyone loves a little celebration, hey, right? You have to celebrate the small wins that happen along the way. And then you can share with others how you did it. Again, back to the process. Here's what I did to make this happen. I'm not just saying yay for me because I did it. I'm gonna share with you how I did it. So sharing with others, also helps them to see how they can do something differently, right? So I feel like that storytelling is actually really important um, because if you're just sitting there being successful in the corner and you see everyone else not being successful, how can we help each other? How can we learn from each other? Um, And so I think that's really important. One of the things that I really enjoy is being um in different industry forums where where folks really are sharing what's working for them in doing this work. And no one's saying it like, hey, look at me. I'm so great. It's, hey, we did this and this worked. This mm. worked. And being excited about the thing that worked, because there's so many things that don't, right? There are a lot of things that we don't get right in this work where it doesn't resonate and it doesn't land the way that you want it. And so when something does, it's worth celebrating and it's worth sharing with others, um, so that we can all kind of get the shortcut version of of how can we do this work better together.
0: Brilliant. So now, without bragging, but how is how are you doing what you're doing? What is the sort of nugget of how MFS is approaching this? And if you don't mind, you know, talking about you know in your mind eyes what has worked or is working. And again, all of this feels like it's you know work in progress all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and what do you think we've learned from and are sort of moving away from, or maybe what didn't work quite so well as we had hoped, and therefore, you know, as a kind of learning opportunity for us and the organization?
1: I think the the, the key thing for um, for us at MFS, and certainly for any organization, is to be really authentic and genuine with the work that you're doing. And so, you know, when you start with the data, and it tells you where to go, and you can see it then you have to decide who do we wanna be in this work? Where do we want to be in this work? Um, And then set kind of that intentionality from there, right? It's, um, we're never gonna be that bleeding edge, pushing the envelope on things. That's just not who we are, but who we are is an organization with an awesome culture that people are really proud of and want to be part of, and they want others to love it as well. And so how do we build on that? So that's been one of the things for me, that has been a great anchor because not every organization feels that way about their culture. You don't have people just walking around talking about culture all day Um, and we do. And so how do we build on that? And I think that's been one of the real ways um, to, to continue to lean into this work is to say, I just want everyone to love this culture as much as person X does. And so that means we might need to do things a little bit differently because that person might be experiencing life differently. They might have a different lived experience than you and so how can we make sure that that person is pulled into this culture and and feels and feels great about it as well right so um for for us we've been focusing on accountability a lot and that's starting with transparency understanding the data if people don't know what it is and why you're trying to change it they're not going to be along for the ride right mm-hmm. so how do you share that information um and We've been really great about that. We've been really good about transparency and sharing information. We've put it in our DEI um, report and not every organization is willing to do that. And I think for us, it says a lot about, this is the starting point. We we're not great and we're working on it, but here's where we are. And more importantly, here's where we're going, right? Here is how we're going to um, continue to celebrate all of our differences in order to, you know, to move forward and support our clients in the best way possible. And so I think we've started to do that more and we've driven more accountability through the organization. We have a DEI goal um, that resonates, you know, that has that everyone has to fulfill. And so everyone finds their way in this work. Um, And I think that's what's most important, right? When you talk about the culture and how personal it is, um, I need everyone at MFS to find their way on this journey, wherever that, whatever that looks like. Um, Some people it's going to mean they're sprinting along with me um, and I only sprint from a DEI perspective, by the way. So they're going to be sprinting along with me. And some people are going to be like, I'm still lacing up, like I'm still here, but I'm getting in it, I promise. And then some people are going to sit on the sidelines and go, I'm not, I'm not in it. Right. And so it's, it's a matter of knowing where people are, having respect for that, and then saying the ones who are lacing up, I got to go back and get them. I don't want to leave people who want to be on the journey because some of us can move faster, right? We have to be able to kind of move at a similar pace to make sure that people stay with us, but also to make sure we move forward.
0: That's really powerful. I could. I. I wonder if you have any learning so far as as teams around the firm have started to apply things. Do you have things mm-hmm. that sort of float to the top of mind for you of these things are working and um listeners will know that there are so many parallels here in my mind to sustainability I'm global head of sustainability strategy having to kind of contend with many of the same issues right we're dealing with people that operate on a spectrum of different levels of belief and conviction but you know want to participate want to be a part of the conversation and how you sort of make that accessible and inclusive Mm -hmm. to those people is only going to make us stronger as an entity so um And, you know, within my own team, we've definitely been experimenting with different ways of embracing the diversity um, that we have within our team, which has been really, really powerful. And so I'm happy to share that. Um, But is there anything, Michelle, that for you, just obviously, given that you get to see the whole enterprise um, that you think has been sort of, you know, even one or two practical things that listeners that may be in a leadership position may be able to start implementing, you know, as early as next Monday uh, when they're back in the office?
1: Um, so there are there are a couple of things that I think um, folks are, are doing really well and it's really making a difference. Um, one thing is put DEI on your team agenda, put it on an agenda, um, assign rotating responsibility for what that looks like and have it be, hey, just come and talk about something that's of interest to you. It doesn't mean that someone needs to be taking a position on it but it means that someone might go do a little research on it. They might think about something. It could be something personal. It could be something they don't understand. They can bring it to the team and they can talk about it. And then everyone can kind of learn together um, in this environment where if I've assigned it to you and we're at work, you're going to do it, right? Um, sometimes hokey is the only way to get it done. So it's, this, it's your turn to talk about DEI next week. Um, do that. In, in as part of your team agenda, um, have different conversations um, with your colleagues, whether those are other fellow leaders and managers um, or gathering employees um, to talk about um, different topics. And, and by the way, there are so many topics that you can talk about. It doesn't always need to be race and gender and sexual orientation or identity. That's, that's part of it, but that's not all of it, mm-hmm. right? We've got multiple generations in our workforce. Let's talk about that. Because the fact that I couldn't figure out the little voice memo button on my phone is probably a lot more compelling than the fact that I'm a black woman sometimes, right? So (laughs) how do we bring people together by having interesting conversations? One of the things that we've done um, with our, um, from a European perspective is have conversations on the topic of time. How cool is that? What does time look like to you? What that means in Italy is very different than what that means in the UK. How do you have different conversations um, mm-hmm. that bring forth in- interesting information without it being judgmental? Mm-hmm. Just It just is. There's nothing to judge. It just is, right? And But when you learn something new, it helps you to interact with someone differently, right? And so how do we have more conversations like that um, in an organic way? And so it might just be, getting some people together and saying we're going to talk about something or putting it on your team agenda and saying you know what who's going to talk about this topic today so talking about Mm -hmm. things is um is a is a really easy way um to kind of get these conversations started
0: i agree and my kind of humble and limited experience so far with it i think um and so for other team leaders i have a team of approximately 25 individuals that span um you know, four or five different countries and a couple of continents, and so sometimes getting everyone together can be challenging. And um, we used to have it as a standing agenda item, but candidly, always felt like it was the last fifteen minutes, and it got squeezed mm-hmm. to other things. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I've learned—if I've learned a couple of things—um—throughout my working career, it's that nothing brings people together like free food. So, um, we started doing lunch and learn sessions specific to DI, and what I asked yep. is, I nominated two individuals to speak for ten minutes. It's not super long about anything in their life and their shared history. And we created this sort of safe space, Renee Brown would call it a brave space between the team of kind of an, and with an area of sort of confidentiality. So without breaking any of those confidences, but, you know, people shared to your point, it wasn't necessarily about their gender or their sexual orientation, but experiences that they may have had in the army, or experiences growing up in different countries, or losing a parent at a very young age, and the impact that that had on them, or having a, a dependent, be that a child or a partner that might have some invisible disability that you know can be quite challenging to, to sort of manage and sort of a few things happened in really, really short order. the trust the level of trust and bonding mm-hmm. in the team. That bled into every other discussion we had was incredible. But also, people found that actually, you know, they had so much in common with the people that they'd been sitting next to. Some in some cases for about 15 years, with no idea that they had those um, areas in common. And it, all it took was, you know, a 10-minute conversation followed by, you know, sort of 20 minutes of open team discussion over some food, uh, and then some, somebody else gets to go. Someone else <laughs> in the team. Had an excellent idea for what they call DI karaoke, where everyone, you know, just like the rules of karaoke. So you go up for three minutes, you say your piece, everyone applauds loudly, and then the next person goes up and and does their thing. And and again, we've we've experimented with both, both are, you know, super effective, um, been really, really good at building that sort of team bond. And as a as an investment solutions team and a sustainability strategy team, so teams that are dealing with how to solve hard problems in a mm-hmm. kind of in a great way for our clients. Actually, it's really helped sort of enmesh people and understand where people are coming from and sort of build those bonds that actually help us ultimately, to your point earlier, serve our clients much much better. So um, anyway, just for what it's worth, I-, I share those things and and for anyone listening, if you have great examples, you know we would love to hear from it. So please um, email us um, at the show. That'd be great.
1: Fish, I love what you said, that, um, that it built, it started to really build the trust in the team, right, of kind of sharing these experiences. And, and something came to mind just as you were speaking. Um, if it's a bridge too far for you to go, okay, we're putting DEI on the next team agenda, learn about each other. Mm. Learn about each other and how different you are. What's, that, what's, your, what's your learning style? What's the way that you like to work? right? We take those things for granted and we go, oh, someone's introverted and someone's extroverted. means a lot in the workplace though, right? And the way that we interact with each other, if you're not all just leaning in and ready to answer and ready to participate at any moment like I am, and you're someone who needs to process a little bit more, you experience meetings in a very different way, right? So even just talking about what is it that, what's the style that you like to work in, right? Things like that, learning about each other, those are our differences. Yeah, it's not. It's and not a, always that deep, right? It's just it can be that simple. Um, and the trust that we build with each other by learning about each other and wanting to work together better um, is is absolutely incredible.
0: Absolutely, and it takes work. And, and you know, I'll say I'll be the first to say you know, I and we are far, kind of far from perfect on this in terms of our team. But as a leader, it also helps me understand how I get the best out of the individual. So to your point, you know, exactly. that we actually did a. a diversity exercise where we talked about you know people who are more morning people or night owls or people who prefer to think on the spot and are more sort of oral thinkers in terms of they like to sort of talk about things and bounce things around the room versus people who prefer to kind of sit with the problem go away sort of you know meditate on it and come back with a more kind of informed response and feel pressure in the moment to to do that and just having even subtly being, where you can control that environment, being able to do that has made a huge difference, frankly, to how those people feel about their contribution, but also the quality of the contribution that they make and therefore the quality of the output that the team has um, overall, which is which is great. It does, does take um, work and it's kind of a muscle that we're continuously trying to build, I think. Um, and like you said, it's dealing with that subjectivity. This is the first point that you made, You know that ev- everyone is experiencing this slightly differently and it is quite personal. Um makes it hard makes it really hard to scale that learning across you know mm-hmm. every person or every team right which which can be a challenge if if that's you know what, what you want to do
1: but you're seeing it pay off though you're putting in the work and you're seeing that payoff you're seeing people be more engaged you're seeing them contribute in a way that is authentic to them, which may you may not have known had you not learned more about them right so yeah. putting in the work does yield better results
0: yeah yeah absolutely absolutely awesome. Okay, Michelle, before I get to the secret question, is there anything that you think is kind of in one line, uh, what is the most important or critical thing that listeners should be focused on right now?
1: The role that they can play as an individual. Whatever seat you are in, you are a leader from that seat. What can you do in the next moment to help someone to feel more like they are included, to help them feel like they belong, to help them feel better about being a teammate or a colleague or an employee in the same organization with you, um, everyone has that power. Even if it is on, you know, those core days when you're in the office and you see someone that you didn't, you don't ordinarily see, you'd stop and you chat with them. Hey, how's it going? I haven't seen you in a while. All of a sudden that person would be like, wow, someone saw me today. I came in for a purpose. You know, all those days where you're like, why am I in? Someone would be like, wow, I had an interaction with someone that was different. And that was really cool. Every single person can make a difference to someone every single day, whether that's at work, whether that's on the subway, whether that's on the tube, whether that's in traffic when you're having a bad attitude, always you can help someone else. Um, and so if you if you think from a place of acting with kindness first, um, it's going to matter to someone. And if we all did Random acts of kindness all day. I hate to say that it, it's this easy, just being a better human on the planet, but it kind of is that easy. If everyone did that every day, um, you would make a difference for someone and that person would feel better. Um, and and that's what it's all about.
0: That's great. It's not often in the workplace, certainly in the financial services world, that we get to have a conversation where multiple times we'll reference words like kindness, compassion, empathy. Uh, and even impact. So Michelle, thank you so much for coming and sharing those thoughts and uh, your wisdom with us today. Um, As is the tradition on the show, uh, the prior guest has left a secret question for you. So I'm going to reveal that now. Uh, You will get a chance to retaliate and ask a secret question to the next guest. so, So think about that while I open this up and read it. Okay, so the question is, will AI be constructive or destructive in terms of affecting jobs, employment, and culture in the long run? That's a perfect question for you, Michelle. So how do you think about the impact that AI is likely to have on the employee journey, so employment, as well as culture of organizations?
1: Um, So constructive or destructive? And I think the answer is yes. This is one of those things that we have got to get really intentional about. Um, You can't just willy-nilly. Wielded it around, right? Um, And thinking about what we're doing, why we're doing it, and the results that we're getting from it, I think are going to be really, really important. In some instances, it's great. If I think about AI, particularly from a hiring perspective and how it could, you know, elevate people's profiles, that might be a better selection for a job. Absolutely. That's great. Ooh, is there going to be bias in that also? Who built that algorithm? Ooh, you need to think about these things, right? So thinking about how we're going to leverage it um, is, I think, the most important thing. It's not something that you can just let happen to you. And I feel like mm-hmm. for a while, people have just been like, "Yeah, no, no, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. There's nothing to see here. And then all of a sudden, you're like, whoa, there's a lot to see here. Um, and so I think making sure that you have a thoughtful um, approach to it and that you are not sticking your head in the sand and just kind of waiting to see what happens. Um, because there are really great benefits that I think can that can help to propel us forward and really help to shape our our organizations and the way that we think and the way that we do business. Um, but there are some there are some sticky things that if you are not paying attention, it's like when you have a child and you're like, no, no, it's really quiet in there. And you're like, yeah, that can't be a good thing. And they're like drawn all over the wall with the marker, and you're like, shoot. Um, Until you're like, ah, that's why I bought invisible markers. I can just wipe this off, right? Like if we don't pay attention, it can really go awry. Um, And so I think there is a lot for us to learn and lean into. And and I just need people to actively do that. And I think that it becomes one of those things. Maybe there are going to be some jobs that go away, but there are going to be some jobs that are really new and fun. They're gonna be ways that we think about using and leveraging employees in ways that we never did before. If that job goes away, what else are you good at? What other skills mm. do you have? So opening our minds to, to seeing what's possible, um, I'm really, really excited about. It just takes intentionality to kind of, again, the process, right? Build the process and build the infrastructure to support that. It's a great question. Yeah, I-
0: I, yeah, it's, it's a good question. I couldn't agree more. I think um, we've been doing a lot of work, obviously, at the firm, and as many other people, I'm sure, listening around sort of AI and what its application might be, to underscore something that you've sort of said explicitly and referenced a few times, the mindset shift required to understand what is happening in as the world has a its next sort of digital transformation is incredibly important. There is, um, I'm again, reference book called the Digital Mindset, which was written by two professors, which. Sort of, if I was to summarize it in one sentence, would be, you know, to really think about the mindset, the tool set, and the skill set that you want to invoke and develop, and to your point, be intentional around developing as an organization. And just that framing of the sort of that Venn diagram with those sort of three sort of spheres has been super helpful, because I think, for me personally, it's really easy to default to what are the skill sets that I need in my team? Well, okay, everyone needs to learn Python, everyone needs to learn SQL, or everyone needs to learn how to code some language. But actually, that's probably a really basic or entry level way of thinking about it to to sort of have the mindset as well as the tool set and the skill set sort of combined together that is really going to be required to rethink. Uh, And as you say, you know, it could be really liberating for many, many people um, to, to kind of express their creativity and their insight in a very different way. Um, and maybe in a more powerful way is um, is great. So you're right, I think it's something that we have to intentionally lean into um, and just be open-eyed about both the constructive and destructive parts. But yeah, it's been super interesting just being early stage on that, on that journey. Mm-hmm. Michelle, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it and for your insights.
1: Thanks, Vish.
0: So there's lots to take away from this conversation, I hope. And again, for all the people listening, um, if you have any questions or comments or follow-ups, please feel free to reach out to, to us at allangles@mfs.com. Um, Thank you, Michelle.